I may have shared this in the past, but it bears repeating that there was once a repairman working high on a steeple of a church when he slipped and fell. It appeared to be that he was falling quickly to his death, but just as he fell, a lamb came walking along in the front of the church. And the workman hit the lamb, which broke his fall, although it did kill the lamb. The workman got up and got himself together after he was clearly shaken from the event. And he thought to himself, I want the whole world or anyone who comes through these doors to recognize that their only right to enter this church and to be in the presence of God is because a lamb had been slain. And so what he did, he walked over to the door of the church and painted a picture of the lamb over top of the door. Uh, That's what we will see today as we zero in on the significance of a lamb slain and the blood of God that is shed for his church and his people and the fulfillment that comes in the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ, our Savior. It'll be in the context of the tenth and final plague upon Egypt, though, that this lamb comes. When the threatenings of the death of the firstborn are are right at the door of the Egyptians. This plague and event that is soon to be executed was to be a memorial for Israel. a, A continual reminder. It was something that they were never to forget. And it is something as Christians that we should never forget. I will go ahead and make this disclaimer that the next few weeks we will have highlight the Passover. So not everything that can be said about the Passover will be said today. Um, so bear with me on the application over the weeks ahead. But we do see right away in chapter 12 how, how God made the Passover a priority. In one and two of this chapter, we, we see that God is changing the calendar. He is now going to start marking time by the Passover. The month that Israel would soon come out of Egypt will now become for them the first month of the year. The month called Abib or later Nisan, uh, what we would call to us is March and April, this time. But why did God feel the need to do this? Why did he make a change to the calendar? Simply stated, because this is a historical event. This is something like no one had ever seen before. And in the midst of what God is about to do, the most amazing part is, is God is going to meet with his people. He's going to rescue them. He's going to redeem them from the bondage of slavery. And the people were never to forget the lengths in which God went to save them. He's marking time and circling this date, this event on the calendar, so that generations upon generations would never forget what God did. Marking great events in the history of God's people and God's church is something that God has always done. And as we read our Bibles, we see him doing over and over throughout history. Think of us today. We've gathered here. I didn't need to send out a message and remind you that church is Sunday this week. 
or that it's going to be Sunday next week. We've gathered here today on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And as a simple reminder of application as we see the Passover priority, I ask you, why is that? Because this day is another day that is marked by the rescue from sin, slavery, and death. Because this is Resurrection Sunday. This day means something in the history of God's people. It's where we come and we retell what God has done so that we can see that God is faithful and that we need to not lose heart. God always gives these markers to us so that we would never forget what he has done for us. And as we walk in these doors, though we don't have a lamb over the door, we enter the presence of God, not struck down, but received on this Lord's day because of the work of the Lamb on our behalf. And we'll talk more about that. But it's a reminder, 52, 53 Sundays a year, depending on how the calendar comes. We walk in here with God saying, remember what I did. Remember who I am. Remember what I am doing. I pray that as the Sundays add upon Sundays and they mount up, that we would continue to prioritize the gathering and worshiping the Lamb of God, our Savior, because God saw the significance of of gathering His people around the work of salvation. But before all of this could come, God didn't just leave it to chance, as we've seen in the weeks prior in all of these uh, These plagues that God is in the details. He's in the very minute and minutia of everything. The the great, big, and and the very small. And in verses 3 to 11 here, we will see where God the Father takes no chances as he lays out the Passover preparations. We made mention last week, but you're going to see again that the 10th plague is something a little different. God's working in a little bit of a different manner. Especially for Israel. During the first nine plagues, Israel was passive. They watched passively as God sent plague upon plague on Egypt and they were spared from the negative consequences. They just sat back and watched. For the tenth plague though, God is calling them into action. Israel would have to be active this time. Because if they were not, then death would be at their door. So to be assured that death of the firstborn doesn't come to their home, they will have to follow the instructions that God lays out as he is preparing them for this event that is soon to strike. Now this had to be a little jarring to the Israelites. You've survived nine major plagues. You've been untouched. Not, not a rogue fly, not even darkness affected them. But now they are told that if they fail to follow the instructions that the Lord gives with the lamb and the blood as we will see here, the death would come upon them too. It's a great reminder of Adam even alluded to about the confession of sin. This is a reminder to Israel to not be haughty, to not be prideful, 
but to be reminded that, Israel, you are sinners too. You are in need of my mercy and grace too. You're not better than Egypt just because of being born, but it's because of my grace and mercy to you. They were sinners who had and would continue to sin against the holy God. And God was reminding them in this moment that they needed atonement to be made one with a holy God for the forgiveness of their sins. Circle it on your calendar and prepare because of this. You're a sinner in need and I'm a holy God. But as I've said, God doesn't spare the details. He doesn't leave things to chance. He lays out just what they are to do. And the instructions begin in verses 3 to 6 here with the lamb. With a lamb. On the 10th day of the month, every man of the household is to take a lamb from the flock for his household. If you notice here, the lamb is to be chosen four days before the Passover feast. It will be kept in the home or around the home until time to be eaten. Again, God wasn't just haphazardly throwing together a meal. Think about major events in our lives, whether it be a family reunion, having someone over, something like Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Easter. There's no one in here who invites company over, and then once they get there, you look at them and say, so what is it you guys want to do for food? You know, there's painstaking um, arrangements made that the details are there. Who's bringing what? When do you start the food? Well, well God is no different here. He, he's not leaving it up to the people it's a good reminder that God is in every detail that should be a comfort to us and, and that this Passover meal was to be done right. And it was to be done right by everyone in the community because it was a community meal of God's people. You, you didn't order off a different menu. You didn't ask for different sides. You didn't ask if there was another main dish. This is what the Lord was serving, and it was a lamb to be gathered four days before. Now, if the household, as verse 4 tells us, was made up of a, a single person or even two or three, and they're not able to eat a whole lamb themselves, then the two households could come together, share the lamb with their neighbors, ensuring that the meal was eaten completely. Now, this was required. There was to be no leftovers. God was, was very specific also, on what type of lamb was to be chosen. Again, you didn't just go out amongst and shut your eyes and just pick one. Uh, verse 5 tells us not only what they're having, but what kind of lamb they were going to have. It was to be a male lamb. It was to be a, a, a year old without a blemish. Now, a lamb goats can be used interchangeably here, an animal of that type of flock. But make no mistake, it was to be young and it was to be without blemish. Now, it wasn't to be without blemish just so the meat would taste better. This wasn't just about preferences, although we see God giving his best. He, he, he doesn't serve leftovers. But it was because this lamb was to be offered as a sacrifice for sin. And only a perfect sacrifice is acceptable to God. This is a fascinating story about the lengths that God goes to save us. 
a young lamb without blemish. As verse 6 tells us, the lamb was gathered by the family on the 10th day, but kept until the 14th day of the month. And then all of Israel at the same time, at twilight, would take part. But did you catch here in this verse how God referred to Israel? The assembly of the congregation, he told them. Israel was God's church. And they would kill the lamb and partake at the same time. We'll, we'll delve into this more. Maybe it's not the right time to get into all of it. But we see the overtones of the Lord's Supper here, do we not? That this is a community meal. That God's people take at the same time. And you take all of the body and the blood when you take it. God didn't want any scraps and leftovers. And he was specific on his details. But I don't want to run ahead because I want us to to remember and to know or to understand maybe for the first time that throughout the Bible, God has always offered a lamb or or a goat for for salvation. Think back with me to Genesis 4, right out of the gate. What did Cain offer? Cain offered fruits of the land. And Abel brought a lamb. Abel's offering was looked upon favorably. Genesis 12, God commands Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering. The the intensity of that moment as the son is carrying the wood and they're looking around. Where's the offering, Dad? Uh, Well, son, you're it. But he trusts the Lord. And at the very moment that Abraham takes the knife to slay Isaac, his son, God intervened. And what did God offer? A lamb, a ram caught in a thicket. I want us to see here in the Passover that God in His grace and mercy provides and provided what He Himself requires. Hallelujah, praise the Lord for that. What God requires, He Himself provides. That's what separates Christianity from everything else in the world. You are not left to pull it off because you cannot. And what did the Lord provide Abraham but a lamb to die as a substitute for his son Isaac? We then go on to Leviticus 16. Where God and his faithfulness would continue to provide lambs or or other acceptable animals for sacrifice for Israel for the day of atonement. Over and over again, we see a theme that God, according to his mercy and grace, provides a substitute for the sins of his people. There is no better feeling than to get a substitute when you can't fulfill your duty, to be a clear conscience when you're sick that someone can step in. You know, Adam gracefully stepped in for me at the last minute on a Saturday, and I didn't have to worry. But when you are sick, you are thankful for a substitute. How much greater when we are sin sick, that we're not treated according to our sins, but the substitute bears the wrath and the punishment that we deserve. 
We are reminded as we enter this Passover section that each of the substitutionary sacrificial lambs points to the greater and final substitute, the greater sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is why John would say the words, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about it. Jesus was a young male without blemish who could be offered by the Father as the greater and final Passover meal. Jesus offered himself at the Passover as the Passover sacrifice. What God required, he provided. But hallelujah, we're not in here shedding blood this morning. Because Jesus makes that once for all final sacrifice. There was a law I found out about in Tokyo about early 1900s that a foreigner could take up residence in Tokyo only if they found a substitute. And the substitute had to be a native. So what happened is the natives would hire out themselves for this purpose. What would happen is you could come and be in the land, but the substitute would vouch for you. If the foreigner broke any law, the substitute suffered the penalty for it, even if that penalty meant death. I wonder how often we forget that we can only have hope and peace and assurance to come before a holy God because God himself offered his best sacrifice as a substitute for us. I know when I finally, by God's grace, understood substitutionary atonement, the imputed righteousness of Christ, how it just revolutionized my life. That our standing before God is based upon God's work on our behalf. Even when we realize we've broken God's law and we deserve death. Yet Christ took our place. In our place condemned, he stood. Taking on the wrath and death we deserve. It's amazing God's timing with the Passover and how we'll be moving in to the Easter season. I'm thankful for this because we'll hear three messages before we'll break for four messages. And we'll see why Easter and, and, and Christ on the cross and when it took place makes sense. And it only makes sense because of Exodus 12 and the Passover. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us in verse 7 that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Hallelujah. What a Savior. He has been sacrificed. And when we receive Christ and trust in Him by grace through faith, we, we, we can be assured that the sins have been dealt with. That God deals with you positionally through the substitute. But the amazing work of, of the righteousness of Christ, and I never get tired of saying is, you, you don't just stand before God just as if you've never sinned. You stand before him just as if you've always obeyed. The perfect righteousness of Christ is given to you, and when the Father looks at you, he looks at you through the work of the Lamb. That, that, that changed my life, justification by faith. And I pray it does for you too. But before there was going to be any cooking, 
There was something that God required. Look with me here at verses 7 and we'll use 7 and 13 together. The Lord required blood. Each home had to take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lentil, the top of the doorframe in the house in which they would be eating. The blood of the lamb was to be placed on the doorframe and above the door, two signs in the top. In all the houses where Israel gathered. But you say, well, what's the purpose? Did God not know where his people were? Yes, of course they did. Or of course he did. Verse 13 sheds light on it though. The blood is a sign that shall be for you on the house's where you are. The blood's a sign for you, he says. It's a reminder to you that blood had been shed and a substitute had died in your place in this house. This is for you. This is why you can go to bed and not have to worry. This is a sign for you. When darkness seems to set in and it will that night, And the wailing and weeping will turn up to full volume. You do not have to worry because this is a sign for you. And God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood of the lamb sacrificed for the people meant that the sins were covered and the wrath of God was turned away. Hebrews 9.22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.22. What a reminder. It's important to understand not only the work of the lamb, but what the blood signifies for us. The blood of the lamb covers our sin. That's the technical word of expiation. That all of our sins are covered and have been paid for by the substitute and it was covered in his blood. But it also means that the wrath of God, the anger, the judgment that comes, and it was coming on Egypt, has been turned away. It's been appeased. Again, the substitute bore the wrath and turns it away. It's like that hurricane that is bearing down on land and soon to do destruction. And all of a sudden, it just makes a turn. And goes back out to sea and fades away. But how much greater when we stand before a holy God in our own sin, the wrath that bears down upon us. But in Christ, the blood has covered all of your sins and it has turned away. And we leave no doubt. He leaves no doubt that you will ever have to stand and bear the punishment in which left to ourselves we deserve. The blood of the lamb marks us as his. And this is what the people could remind her. It's a sign to you. The blood of a lamb. The fruit of the vine. The bread. I mean, these are just ordinary things. And yet God marks them as extraordinary because of the promises that are attached to them. But we've seen a lamb and we've seen blood. But the next part of the Passover preparation was... How to cook and then eat this lamb in verses 8 to 11. The blood is in place on the 
door frames and the lentil. But God even tells you what to set the oven to. He tells you how long to cook it. The meal was a reminder of the trials and suffering that Israel had faced in Egypt. Each of the parts of this meal were chosen so that they could be put together quickly without wasting much time. Verse 9 tells us here that God, and the details he gives in preparation of the food, even tells how he likes his meat cooked. We get that question when you go out, if you order steak, how do you like your steak cooked? And you tell them. Well, see, this time at this meal, God says the Passover lamb will be roasted on the fire. You don't eat it raw. And you don't have time to boil it in water. That would have taken much longer. It is to be roasted over a fire. The head with its legs and inner parts were to be, to be eaten. And then with this meal, there was, there was a side. There was a couple sides. The unleavened bread. Again, why the unleavened bread? It was because there was no time to wait for dough to rise. It was to be made quickly and quickly it would be made and easily accessible. Then the bitter herbs that were a part of this menu would remind Israel, as I've stated already, the bitter and harsh treatment that they had received at the hands of the Egyptians, that they would never forget that bitter taste of the bondage of slavery, of the harsh treatment that they had faced. And verse 10 tells us, Unlike many meals that we've maybe partaken in, there were not going to be any leftovers. There was no gathering a to-go bag to take with you for the journey. Whatever was left by the morning was to be burned. I really feel that God is showing them here right away that Israel, you're going to have to trust me. That I'll provide. I'll give you enough. I am sufficient for all of your needs. As we sung or talked about in Sunday school, how firm a foundation is the Lord. And that foundation is the word in which he gives us. And here they're being told, you don't need to gather up and, and worry about where we'll eat. I'll take care of you. God will make sure they're well fed and taken care of. But they had to trust him. They had to trust him. Not only did God set the menu and tell them how the items were to be cooked, but now we see he even sets the dress code in verse 11. Now, you would think with such a monumental event that this would be a black tie affair where there would be much lingering around and reminiscing about their time in, in Egypt. But no, that is not what this meal would be about. The dress code reflected an urgency of the moment. Verse 11 says Israel was to eat quickly and to be fully dressed for action. In belt, sandals, those were to be on and a staff was to be in hand. Well, let me just tell you, nobody walks around their house with a staff in hand. The staff was used to protect, it was used to herd, and it was used to walk. God's telling the people, 
you're going to be leaving shortly and quickly. You need to be ready to go when I say go. This is an explanation of the urgency of the Passover meal. You have been waiting for 400 plus years. The moment is upon you. Be dressed and ready for action. It's the same way that Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God, the, the warfare in which we face, and the world in which we walk into. Be dressed and ready for action. Put on the Lord's clothing in which he commands. Because when the Lord strikes, he's going to strike quickly. When Christ returns, it'll be in the blink of an eye. He comes and he comes like a thief in the night. And this is what you would see a picture of as they walk out. As the Egyptians hand them all of their goods. A lamb. The cooking. The eating. And a dress coat. God took care of every detail for the salvation of his people. And we are dressed and ready for action. Because how does he say we are dressed? We are dressed in the robes of Christ's righteousness. You you, you don't get to come to this meal because you have been dressed in clothing fit for a king. No, the king has given you his wardrobe. And everything fits when he invites you to come. But he wants you to live in a manner that is prepared to walk in the ways in which he's called you to trust him. God so loves us that he takes care of every detail. He feeds and clothes and provides for us. See, he doesn't just promise the salvation. He provides it and allow us to continue in it. And that is because in verse 12 and 13, we see here today. He gives a Passover promise. Verse 12, he reiterates for us. For I will pass through the land of Egypt. I'm going to execute the 10th plague on the firstborn of man and beast. Death is coming. I'm coming through. And I'm going to bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. That's why I spent time in the nine showing you the gods in which God himself humiliated because he had a problem with their false worship. And I'm going to bring judgment on them for their false worship. And he can say and do all of this. And this is a great reminder because he is the great I am. What does he say here? Because I am the Lord. This is why people would lose their mind when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the one then and now that leads us in triumphal procession out of our sins. He's the one that could feed them with the manna from heaven, the greater manna that comes, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the bread of life. As God shares the frightening reality, I want us to not miss something here. As this frightening reality is on the horizon, it would take a lot to still go get your best lamb, to keep it for four days, to wait, to slaughter, to put the blood up and to cook things just right. And then to know that night was coming. But what's amazing is how does God reassure Israel? Go back to that 13 that we've touched on already. With the blood of the lamb. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No plague will destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. I I wonder today if. 
Somebody may be dealing with guilt or frustration, disappointment, hurt. I, I want you to hear once again that God reassures you with the blood. His blood that he offered through the son Jesus Christ that he has covered all of your sin. He has forgiven you fully, completely. You stand before him. What a reminder today that the blood of the Lamb is sufficient to save us from our sins. We receive this promise by grace through faith. I hope those are not just words that we hear. It's when we dig into the first Passover that we begin to grow in appreciation of the greater and final Passover. As I've mentioned already in a few short weeks, we'll turn our attention to Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus' um, upper room discourse, the, 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 the crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. But again, to rightly understand the moment, we'll come back to Exodus 12. We'll see when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the Passover lambs, the day Passover lambs were brought into the city. We'll see at the Last Supper with the disciples, Jesus was celebrating the what? The Passover. And it was in that context, he instituted what? The Lord's Supper that finds its fulfillment in Christ. Where before our eyes and ears, he would say that this is my body, this is my blood that is broken and shed for you. He looks before us and says, I'm the reason for the Passover. I am the Lamb of God as he stood before his disciples. And then we will see Jesus crucified on the eve of the Passover in the late afternoon at the twilight in the Jewish homes where they would sacrifice a lamb according to the law. While all along at the temple, the high priest would be preparing a lamb to make atonement for the sins of Israel. While Jesus hung, bloody, beaten as a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You don't get that story without Exodus 12. I pray today that we would never pass over the implications of God's Passover for us and what it means today and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank